Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast where we embrace and explore what it means to live out the feminine genius as Catholic women. I'm Chloe Langer, and as a quick heads up, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about sex abuse, especially within the Catholic Church. And so if this is in a podcast that you normally listen to with little kids running around, this is a good one to grab some earbuds for. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Karna Lazoya, and we are going to be talking about a brand new podcast that she's hosting called Crisis, Clergy Abuse in the Catholic Church. Karna's podcast shares about the sexual abuse crisis in the Catholic Church, its origins, its characters, its causes, and the reforms that have come from it. She's interviewed bishops, survivors, reporters, lawyers, and social workers to help navigate a systemic problem that has plagued the Catholic Church. You know, conversations about this topic are challenging, um, but absolutely necessary in a journey towards healing. And I think Karna navigates these conversations with grace and the feminine genius, which is what we're going to be talking about today. If you've ever felt overwhelmed by the reality of sex abuse within the Catholic Church and you don't know where to look to find the whole story, sister, this letter is for you. We're welcoming to the show Karna Lozoya. She serves as the Executive Director of Strategic Communications at the Catholic University of America. She began her career as a journalist with the Zenit News Agency, serving as the editor in the English edition for six years, and then she directed communications over at the Archdiocese of Denver. She was also the first English editor with the team at Alatea. Karna, welcome to Letters to Women. It's so good to have you on the show. Thanks, Chloe. I am so honored to be here. So today we're going to be having a conversation about a brand new podcast that you're hosting, The Ramifications of Clergy Abuse in the Catholic Church, and also how we can support survivors of sexual abuse. But to start the conversation, Karna, can you share your story as a Catholic woman? That is such an interesting question and kind of um, and kind of a big question and something that's really pertinent to me. There's kind of two aspects to it. I've um, when I was in college, uh, I was in college in the 90s, and that's when um, 95 is when Letters to Women came out. So I was in school at that time, and I remember a friend of mine got a group of girls together to discuss the letter. And it was such an interesting, um, it was just all new to everybody just this idea of reflecting on who we are as women and how that experience is really different than the experience of being a man. And it's something like, you know, you know that there's a difference there, but you didn't, you didn't like, no, no. And you couldn't articulate it. And, and I remember just having long conversations about what does John Paul II mean by genius to women? And so we were, that was a constant conversation. Like we knew we had a genius, like we, but we didn't know how to like explain it. And, and it's been since kind of this journey over these past, um, gosh, is that it's 25 years um, since the letter to women. And, uh, and, and I've kind of grown, I feel like I've grown alongside the church as the church is also discovering um, who woman is and how to articulate her genius and what her role is um, in the church, what her role is alongside man, what her role, you know, what her vocation is um, as mother, as, um, as wife, all these different types of roles. So I feel like this is, this is a topic that is at the same time so integral to my life and my growth and my understanding of who I am as a person, um, as a Catholic, and as a woman. 
but also at the same time, it's been something, and this is, this is going to be interesting. It's, it's been something that kind of started to move in the back of my head. It's not something I think about so much anymore because it's becoming just integral to who I am as a person. Um, I used to reflect and think and analyze and and read a lot about um, women and women's genius and things like that. And um, and and that's been something that I don't think about as much anymore. And, and I guess I'm not totally or exactly sure why that is. Um, it's just been kind of maybe part of the growth process where I've just integrated those thoughts so much into how I approach life that it's just not something I think about anymore. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, it does. I, th- I think as I've had conversations with women about the feminine genius, that's one thing as a theme that's come up time and time again is that that it isn't necessarily something that we do as women, but instead who we are as women inherently. And so for it to become a, a rhythm of your life so that it has almost, you know, has become more of the background and ha- is actually really beautiful to hear. And um, and just I have just one um reflection because I did work in a chancery for six years at the Archdiocese of Denver and um, I, you know you work with a lot of priests and it really is an environment that is more um, male and um, and not in like a negative way it's just there's a lot of priests and so the, the tone and, and of, the, of the place is just is really more male um, and it was interesting because that was probably the time where I was most aware of being a woman. And, and I felt like, um, I, I felt like it was, there was a really interesting, um, experience of understanding, um, the difference between males and females because you have that kind of interaction between like a priest and a married woman. And two very different vocations, but very complementary at the same time. And and I felt that that was a very special moment in my life where I I began to understand a lot of of who I was as a woman, being in the environment that was so male because I understood how different I was from that environment. Anyway, so that was just kind of a really um, a, a bit of a, a glimpse into into that journey and that understanding. But since I've left that environment and now I'm at Catholic University where it's just a more normal environment with, you know, lots of men and lots of women, I definitely feel like the difference. It's not the chancer anymore. And then and so then those kind of concerns or I you know, uh reflections on the difference between men and women have kind of gone into the background. Um, a little bit. That makes sense. I love too how in your journey of discovering your identity as a Catholic woman, how it involves first those conversations with women talking about letters to women, but then also this time that you had at the Chancery and seeing that womanhood in relation to men and just how both genders played a role in discovering what it means to be a Catholic woman and what it means to live out the feminine genius. That's really beautiful. Yeah, I think it's really important to um, understand who you are by recognizing um, and being in relationship with the opposite sex. I think that there's a lot that you discover about yourself by, um, and that's marriage. That's been marriage for me too, is just really understanding um, my husband is so different than I am in so many ways. And um, 
and just coming into contact every day with that does help you understand who you are. And, and I think that's really beautiful. It's just part of God's plan. And, and it's, a, it's a really beautiful experience. I love how your experience with journalism, but also your experience in the Chancery and all of all of these life experiences are, are coming to play in as you host a new podcast called Crisis, Clergy Abuse in the Catholic Church. Can you share with me more about how this podcast came to be and the topics that it covers? Yeah. And if you don't mind, I'm going to start kind of way back at Zenith and... Um, it is kind of interesting. I've had so many different experiences in the church, and they are kind of coming together in this podcast. I started in Zenit in 2004, I believe. I hope I got the date right. Um, and I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. I um, had not read Zenit before. I was um, a priest I knew had approached me and asked me if I uh, wanted to start translating because I had I spoke Spanish and he asked me if I wanted to do some translating and I said sure um, I had no idea what Catholic journalism was about I barely read my diocesan newspaper growing up I knew it existed but I didn't never knew anyone who actually um, worked there um, it was a very different environment in the, in the 90s and the um, so I got this job and, and I had no idea what to expect. And I ended up over eight years, I was the editor for six, I translated for two. Over the next eight years, I learned so much about the church. It was incredible, just especially at Zenit where you're dealing with a lot of Vatican news. And I just learned how the church worked. I learned what a congregation is. I learned what a pontifical council was. I learned all about the Eastern churches, all the different rites. Um, I learned the names of cardinals all over the world. Um, it was such an experience of really being able to be in contact on a daily basis with the Universal Church, and, and I found that absolutely fascinating. And then when I was um, uh, able to, when I was offered the job at um, the Archdiocese of Denver, Gosh, that was just another layer of getting to know the church, but at the local level. So I began to understand how a chantry worked, how an archdiocese worked, how um, the sausage gets made, so to speak, um, and uh, just understanding all the different parts of, of, of just the church on the ground and parish life and how parishes work and finance councils and, and, and canon law and and certain things like that. And then here at Catholic University, I kind of made a decision when I was um, moving here that I wanted to start learning um, new new things, not necessarily continuing in the church world, but learning like higher ed um, uh, type topics and just expanding my repertoire as a communicator. And, um, and that's when the McCarrick scandal hit. Uh, two weeks before I started, uh, the Archdiocese of New York had announced that Carrick, McCarrick had been um, credibly and substantiatedly um, accused of sexual assault of uh, altar boy. And so the first six months of my time at Catholic was spent um, dealing with the sex abuse crisis. One of the first things I did was help craft the communication to announce that we were rescinding the um, honorary degree of Cardinal McCarrick. So 
so it's just kind of this whole history of serving the church at different levels. And then, you know, here I am at Catholic where I, I was expecting to get into more issues about, you know, um, student, student, uh, student issues. And I'm dealing with the church again and, uh, and not just the church, but the sex abuse crisis. And that was a very, very intense six months. It, there was a lot of anger. I, we were in, I was in DC. So a lot of it, a lot of anger was swirling in, in, in the air in DC. Whirl um, was being highly criticized. He ended up resigning that October. Um, we got a new archbishop, just a lot of questions, a lot of anger. And so as we're kind of dealing with that, President John Gardy of the Catholic University of America um, started having conversations about what Catholic University could do. What could our response be to the sex abuse uh, crisis? And we came up with the idea of starting an initiative, and that is called the Catholic Project. And one of uh, the goals of the Catholic Project is to educate people on the the various factors of or the various factors of the sex abuse scandal, but also to look at the scandal from a lot of different angles. And to really, we use this phrase a lot, get your head around the sex abuse scandal to really understand it. And, and as a way to, um, to be, uh, to be, prepared and able to respond to it in such a way that we can prevent it from happening again. And um, so then that's how the podcast came about. We felt like we needed some time to tell the story of the sex abuse crisis, but in a way that is informed of the reality of the church and how the church works and all the different factors that went into the sex abuse crisis and not to excuse the church. There are lots of things the church did that are not excusable and we talk about those, but, and it's not to beat up on the church either. It's to get to the root of what happened so that we can begin working on those things that continue to exist in the church that led to the sex abuse crisis in the first part. When I was listening to the first episode of crisis, one thing that I really valued was when I was living through as a, as a news consumer and as a Catholic, the McCarrick scandal, the Pennsylvania grand jury report and everything that really went down in, in 2018, it was easy to read one article um, or read just a headline and feel very much like there's a bigger story here, but it feels so disjointed. And I know that there's connections. And for as a listener and as a Catholic to be able to sit down and listen to a podcast and have all of those dots connected in a way that's cohesive and honors the stories um, of, of victims and honors the structure of the church with an acknowledgement of what that looks like was incredibly helpful. Yeah. And I think that's one of the goals too, is is to really connect the dots because we hear a lot about 2002 then you hear about this priest and you hear about that priest and that bishop and and to be able to like have have a a, a um a frame you know to be able to a framework to be able to like understand it and and know where to put all the different kinds of information um that you're reading for me for example 
um, now that I read stories about sex abuse, um, I'm able to take that information and put it into a larger framework, um, which which was the work of the podcast, putting that together. So it is extremely helpful to be able to have a, a lot more in-depth knowledge of, of everything that's gone on. So that's what I hope uh, to give people. And as a university, we see that as part of our mission to, to educate. Throughout the podcast, you sit down with a, a wide variety of people. And some of the people that you sit down with are survivors of sexual abuse. And one story in particular is striking. And it's the story of James, who is a man who suffered abuse at the hands of Theodore McCarrick. As an interviewer, and as a journalist, for you, what was it like to sit down with survivors and listen to their story as you're putting together this podcast? This is a, an extraordinarily sensitive topic. And and I think the word that you used earlier is the word that we always use when we talk about the stories of the survivors is to honor their stories. Um, I, I sit down with survivors with an attitude of just a, a ton of respect um, and gratitude because they are sharing with us their lived experiences that are traumatic um, for them. And they're sharing their stories with us so that we can learn. And and I sit down with a lot of gratitude. Um, interviewing James was the interview that was probably the most difficult for me. There were a couple of difficult interviews. Um, this was the most difficult. Uh, you you really got a sense of um, of just the just the level of evil that that um, that took place in that relationship between um, McCarrick and and James. Uh, it it was really hard to listen to. There there are aspects we just recorded that episode where we go deeper into the story. Um, and episode four, we go deeper into the story of James. And um, that's a really hard story to listen to. Um, and you listen to it with, if you listen to it with, you know, a lot of empathy, you you just understand the devastation that happens with this type of abuse. And, um, and you know, we we all carry that cross together with James. And, and so I'm, yeah, that it, it's, it's really hard, but you have to do it with a lot of respect and gratitude for these people, for the people who, who sit down with us and share their stories. Um, it requires a lot of courage and, um, and I'm glad they did it. It's, it's not easy to sit through. I, I think that the, the weight of those conversations is incredibly heavy. And I think for a lot of Catholics who are listening, they'll remember what it was like in summer of 2018. It was a it was a summer that was full of news stories about sex abuse scandals within the Catholic Church. And I think it's tempting to avoid conversations about such a heavy topic or to not know how to start those conversations about sex abuse and about clerical scandals. But why are the conversations like the ones that you're having in crisis important and necessary for the Catholic Church today? That's a really good question. I know um, I know there are people that I live with um, I mean that I'm. Uh, I, I know there are people in my um, in my life who are um, who are. Who, I've been talking about sex abuse a lot in the last two years, just because of this podcast and this project and everything that's gone on. And and I know it's not a topic a lot of people will want to 
um, hear a lot of because it is there's there's two things. It's you're talking about um, the sexual lives of priests. We we don't want to speak about that or, or hear about that. Um, and you're talking about such a level of evil. I think that is something that um, that I get a pit in my stomach sometimes when when we're talking about this issue, or when I'm interviewing someone and they 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 discuss an incident or an event that is is just evil, and that is something we don't want to be in the presence of. Right? We are attracted to beauty and light and goodness and to to face topics like this which are just evil it's we run from that we we do not want to go there but this is why these conversations are important it's because there is a festering wound there and it needs immediate attention because it won't heal unless we go in and heal it. And if we don't know what's wrong, we can't heal it. And and that's why these conversations are important because we're we're diving into um, a, a really stinky wound um, in the church, and it's very um, uh, revolting. It's extraordinarily revolting. Um, but we have to do it because that's how we're going to heal it. And um, so I I always think of St. Therese of Lisieux, who kind of stared down a, in the story of the soul. There's this image where she kind of, um, uh, I think she stares down a devil. I have to go back and, 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 and reread that. But um, I just have this image of her just with this absolute confidence in the face of everything and just fearless. And I think that is the gaze that we need to have is just be fearless um, in, in the face of this, of this great evil and know that Christ is with us. Um, he is goodness and light. And if we bring him into this conversation, he will, he will heal it. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so that's what our role is for people who listen to crisis and encounter the stories of, of victims and, and learn more about the, the truth behind the scandals and the bigger picture of things. Um, when we're facing such an evil, especially with, with fearless hope and courage that Christ can heal as a divine physician. Um, what does that look like practically for Catholics who are listening and who have a desire to come alongside sexual abuse survivors who've suffered at the hand of clergy and support them and listen to their stories. Um, how can, what does that look like? How can we support them? It's, you know, we, we spoke to a couple survivors about this very issue and we asked them what our role should be in the sex abuse crisis. Um, there was a couple different answers. I'll mention, I'll mention a couple. The first is to really listen. I think if, um, our goal isn't to ask survivors um, for their experiences um, to kind of try and um, uh, our our role is to, and I'm trying to explain this in a way um, um, also for myself, but our role is to really listen to what 
um, the survivors are saying. We have this tendency as a church to want to resolve this issue and move forward. And what we've discovered within the survivor community is that um, they're not in that big of a hurry to have kind of tie all of this up in a neat bow and move on. They really want us to sit with this for a while. They want us to really understand the depth of damage that happened as a result of the sex abuse crisis. And they want to make sure that we are paying attention to what caused this. And they want to make sure that, um, that we're addressing those issues. This can't be done quickly. This has, to, this takes time and, and it takes a lot of, of listening. And I think that's the number one thing that, that we can do and to listen. And the second thing is, is just, um, be, and it's kind of the, it's almost the same point, but just to really be patient. And, uh, this is not an issue that will, um, change that, that it will be solved from one day to the next. Um, it's an issue that we have to, there are deep things that took place. There are deep and profound issues, um, involved in the sex abuse crisis. And, uh, and these, these are issues that we'll talk about in the podcast. Um, but that, that really require a, a conversion, right? And, and this isn't just something that we can, uh, uh, put together a five point plan and, and create all these processes and, um, train all of our kids in what safe touches and that it's resolved, right? These are, these are lives that have been, um, ruined and, um, and spiritual there's a, a huge spiritual element that people aren't talking about. There are um, souls that have been turned away from the Catholic church, right. And that have been, um, that feel alienated from God. And, um, and, and we need a, a lot of healing, a lot of healing um, and not just psychological and not just therapy, but also a lot of spiritual healing and reconciliation. And that takes a lot of work. So I guess listening and patience. I think we, we've been talking about honoring the story of those who who have endured abuse at the hands of clergy and just honoring their story. And I think realizing that not sharing a story and healing as a church and on an individual level, also the time that's involved with that, I think emphasizes the fact that these are experiences and trauma that people endured for years. And then the trauma of of the after effects of that that they have endured for years and really honoring the fact that it's not a, a quick turnaround. Let's get this done and, and move on. Um, just continues. Yeah. Would continue to honor their story. And every survivor has their own story. We spoke to one man who um, didn't realize he had been abused until he was in his sixties. Um, and then memories started to come back. It, it's really fascinating, and I think it's 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 kind of a temptation for us to kind of want to go in and and analyze survivors. And and what we learned is number one, survivors aren't a monolithic group. Every every survivor kind of has their own. Well, every survivor has their own experience, but um, survivors aren't in agreement on things like 
what's justice for survivors. They're not agreement on healing, uh, what healing looks like. They're, some are in the church, some have left the church, some hate the church, some want it destroyed and burned to the ground. Others um, love the church. So uh, you can't talk about survivors as, as one group because they, you know, every survivor is a person with their own unique set of experiences and perspectives and worldview. Um, so it, it is it is something where we just have to kind of take survivors as as they are and not try and fit them into nice little neat categories. For listeners who are tuning into perhaps this podcast, but also tuning into crisis, and if part of their story includes sexual abuse and surviving that experience, do you have any resources or organizations that you would introduce them to um, as they're looking for healing in their own story? Yeah, so there there are a lot of resources for survivors. I think the easiest thing for me to do is just point people to thecatholicproject.org. So that's um, catholicproject.org. And, um, and on there, we have a button for resources. And there's one specifically for survivors. And we've worked with our National Catholic School of Social Work at Catholic University to make uh, resources resources available, not just but for survivors, but also for families and friends of survivors, and and also for um, you know others who are just looking for information on how to report um, if if you see something going on um, with a, with a child in your neighborhood, like how how you should report to the authorities if you see something in your church, how to report to your church. And always remember, if it's a if it's sexual abuse in the church, your every diocese has a victims assistance coordinator, and those are really the front kind of the front lines of reporting. And those are the best people to talk to in your diocese. Another aspect of the podcast is how impressed I have been with everything the church is doing to just. You know, I was talking, it's like the the solution isn't better processes, but at the same time, um, we need to have good processes. We can't ignore that part. And the church has been working really hard um, to get our reporting processes um, just as good as they can be. And they've done wonderful work. Uh, the Safe Environment Training has created an awareness um, among uh parents and kids and priests about boundaries and what safe touches and all of these things are are not that answer, but they have to be in place and they're critical to creating a safe environment for all our kids. And and I think in in that on that level, a church is doing an extraordinary job. And and it gives me a lot of hope for the future. And I'm kind of proud of the church. You know, I I, it, as as I'm listening to these, um, vic- we've interviewed victims assistance coordinators and people who've worked on review boards, and and they they're doing extraordinary work, and and we should be proud of that. That's so good. It's so good to see the different perspectives and to see that also the the boots on the ground front line, um, and what that looks like for them, and um, yeah, to process through the healing and working alongside victims and. And then also just creating, yeah, those those processes that do have a place. I, I love how you phrase that. Like this isn't this isn't the way that like the one way they were going to heal, but this is this does play a role in what that looks like. Yeah, it has to be in place, right? Um, and then that that's what allows us to get to the deeper work of healing, because if we didn't have those processes in place, 
um, we wouldn't we wouldn't have a strong foundation or, or or even that level of credibility, right, to be able to do the, that deeper work. You you and I are just scratching the surface on a lot of topics that I know are woven throughout Crisis and and the work that you've done there. Where can listeners find Crisis, um, and how can they subscribe to the podcast? Well, I'm going to point you back to the CatholicProject.org. That's our website. And um, if you go there, there will be a pop-up um, that introduces you to Crisis, um, which is our podcast. Uh, the first episode um, was launched uh, September 9th, and um, and we're just so proud of this production. And we, you just go on. So how do you get to it? You just go on thecatholicproject.com. You could also uh, search for it anywhere you get your podcast. It'll be um, it'll be in all the regular places podcast would. Like, you and I have been talking about the feminine genius and how that's played a role in your story as a Catholic woman. And then also as you have put together and hosted this podcast as well, but I would love to close our conversation out by asking you how you live out the feminine genius in your daily life. Um, especially as a woman who's dedicated time to creating a really beautifully honest and transparent look at the impact of sexual abuse within the Catholic church. When President the President Garvey invited me to do this podcast, um, and he he really wanted um, a woman to be the host, and and he he wanted that for a very specific reason because because um, he felt like this was an issue that could use the feminine genius because uh, when you are talking about issues in the church that it's a male environment um and there's there's a lot of um our interviews are mostly um men uh and and he felt like we really needed kind of the feminine genius to come in and um and have a different perspective and i think that's what uh, i offer i definitely in conversations with people that I think as women, we come at issues in a much different way. And as I was kind of saying before, the woman will always put the person first. And guys tend to um, look for um, solving the problems. Uh, And I think women tend to want to know how the person is doing we want to understand the person. And I think that's where, that's what a woman is brings to this issue is that we're always going to uh, put the survivor, the victim survivor first. We're going to worry about um, how they're doing. We're, um, when we come up with solutions, we're going to try and figure out how um, everybody fits into the solution and not just kind of create these um, efficient processes that move people through a system and um, at the end have a positive resolution. Um, so that's kind of um, generalizing a little bit because obviously um, women are also good at processes and men also put people first. Um, but I think the feminine genius um, does have that particular place where they put the person first. Another thing that I am very conscious of is creating space for people in this conversation. Um, there are, there have been a lot of people 
we have interviewed a lot of people on this kind of, I hate, you know, we hate to say right and left aspects of the church, but, but really there are Catholics who are kind of more conservative and Catholics who are more liberal. We've made a conscientious um, effort to create space for all voices to come and um, talk about this issue in our podcast and not just have this be kind of a left-leaning podcast or a right-leaning podcast. We want to make sure that this is a conversation where everybody's at the table and contributing. And I think that's another particular um, uh, genius of the woman is to be able to create that environment where everybody has a seat at the table. Well, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast and for sharing your story and the story behind crisis, but also thank you for the incredible and the incredibly intentional way that you've hosted crisis and continue to produce that podcast. So thank you for, for making that space and yeah, and creating this as a resource for people to learn more about the full story and then to really honor the stories of all who, who are involved. So thanks for coming on the show. Kind of, this has been beautiful. Well, thank you, Chloe. I am so honored. I hope, um, I hope I answered your questions and um, and I just look forward to listening to more of your podcast. I think you're doing an, an incredible job and I'm extraordinarily impressed <laughs> um, by the quality by the quality of these conversations. So um, good luck and God bless you for all your work. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Letters to Women. If you've had conversations with friends, especially I'm thinking back to summer of 2018, when a lot of the news of scandals within the Catholic Church broke, and you've had conversations with these friends about what our response should be as Catholics, would you send this episode to them first to start and continue a conversation that needs to happen as part of our steps to healing, but also to tell them about Karna's new podcast, Crisis. If you head over to my blog, oldfashionedgirlblog.com, you're going to find all of the resources that Karna and I mentioned in today's episode, including links to show you how to subscribe to Crisis and a link to subscribe to the Letters to Women newsletter so that you don't miss any updates about the new Letters to Women book, which is being published by Tan in early 2021. That is all I have for today's episode. Make sure you are subscribed to Letters to Women wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of the new content that's coming out for this fall. The next couple of episodes coming out this fall. It's just some really good conversations. So until next time, be not afraid.